The world is changing. Everything has shifted, including how we relate to each other. We hear, but we do not listen. We're together, but feel alone. We speak, but struggle to communicate. It doesn't have to be this way. We can all adjust the way we relate to one another. Would you all agree with me, one of life's greatest gifts, and ultimately one of the greatest gifts from Jesus, is that of godly friendships? Anyone, would you raise your hand? How many of you have benefited in life because of godly friendships? Ton of us. Now, here's the deal. I I don't want to discredit... um, Friendships, just in general, like people who do not know Jesus and they're our friend. Um, I'm sure they're great people. Keep them around. Don't ditch them simply because they don't believe what you believe or they didn't grow up in church. So I'm not saying that. I'm sure they're wonderful, fine people. I'm just saying there's a difference between godly friendships and just friendships because godly friendships can make you more like Jesus, whereas people who don't know Jesus, that's going to be difficult for them, isn't it? Why? Not because, again, not because they're bad people. They just don't know Jesus. Let me give you an example just to kind of illustrate. Um, I love football. I watch football. I got one guy with me. Uh, Listen, I even play fantasy football. I've never played a game of football in my life. You don't want me coaching you as a quarterback if you want to go to the NFL. I've never played a game before in my life. Listen, uh, I know the terms. I grew up watching it. We talked about it in my family. Um, I've watched it. I've been to games. I've never played a football game before in my life. You know, aside from like the backyard or something like that on Thanksgiving. But like, you don't want me coaching you. I know a couple terms. I know that every once in a while, like you have to throw the deep ball. I know you have to do that. Sometimes you have to run to burn the clock. How am I doing so far? Pretty good, right? I got some of these terms down. I'm just saying there's a difference between um, being around something, being familiar with something, and then knowing something. If you want to be a professional football player, you need to be coached by someone who lives, breathes, and has experience in football. You with me so far? Same thing is true when it comes to following Jesus. And again, a difference between godly friends versus just regular friends. Godly friends can help point you in that direction. Why? Because they've done this. They know how to do this. They are walking with Jesus as we are walking with Jesus. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth, and it's already up here. The truth is simply this. Godly friends make your life better, and they make you better at life. Friendships will make your life better. Why? Because community is great. We need people we can trust, we can lean on, and you can do that with anybody. I'm just saying, this part right here, they make you better at life. That's something only godly people can do if, if your life, if you want your life to be like Jesus. Because you you have to know who Jesus is in order to go that direction. If you just want to live your life, then then this statement isn't true. But if you want to live your life like Jesus would if he lived your life, you need godly friends. Okay? So please don't hear me like, you know, I have to get rid of all my friends who didn't grow up in the church. They know nothing about Jesus. No, 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 no. They're great people. Keep them around. But this statement, godly friends make your life better and they make you better at life, is so true if we have godly friends. You ever wondered why? Because they do two things. They will do two things. They accept you, 
and they challenge you. They accept you and they challenge you. Now, there are things in life, there are seasons. This, this is kind of like a pendulum swinging. You're like, well, my non-Christian friends do this as well. Yes and no, yes and no. Um, they accept you. Everybody wants to be accepted. Does anyone not want to be accepted by other people? Didn't think so. Okay, good. We all want to be accepted by people because community is important. We need people that know our strengths and our weaknesses, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they love us anyways. We just need this. And especially as children, as babies, as infants, and as we grow, we just need this throughout life. We need people to accept us as we are and simply love us. But this part right here, challenge, that can get very um, dicey. There are moments, and I think this is absolutely hilarious. I do this. You probably do this as well. There are moments where I have friends in my life and I, I want them to hold me accountable to certain goals or dreams or things that I would like to achieve in my life. And um, <laughs> it's so funny. We all do this, I think. I will be living my life and then I'll have one of those friends come up to me and be like, hey, Steve, like, and then they call me out on something. And then what's my like knee-jerk reaction? I'm like, what, you don't know me? You don't know the struggle I'm going through? Like, ah, oh, why don't you mind your own business? And I just build up this wall, don't I? I just build up a wall. And I'm like, you stay on that side. I just want you to accept me. I will ask you when I want, you, when I want to be challenged, but I didn't ask to be challenged. So, so you're, you're out of bounds on that. And then we have these fights. We have these issues within our family. And it just, it doesn't work that way. That's not a good godly friendship. A good godly friendship allows for people to make us better, to challenge us, even when we didn't ask for it. And the reason, listen, the reason they can do that is because they already accept us. And we feel that. These aren't just words on a screen. This is, just, this is human beings to human beings. We've experienced this growing up. And especially, listen, especially if we're followers of Jesus, because this isn't, this isn't a private thing. This is a communal thing. We do this together. So we can't just stay comfortable and live in this world of acceptance. From time to time, we have to be challenged. And challenging is difficult, it's uncomfortable by nature. And if, if we're not careful, if we don't have the right mindset, it can mess up friendships, can't it? We can have conversations that we're really, we have no business having because we're, we're just, we're playing mind games with one another. When, when we've given per people permission to speak into our lives and then we get upset at them for doing so, that's on us. That's on us. And again, when you feel that tension in your life, that's because we're moving from acceptance to challenge. And there's a, um, there's a comfort and a discomfort that comes with doing all those things. Now, there's this progression, and here's why comfort is really, really dangerous for a lot of us. Here's why this is really dangerous. Um, two things. The first one is this. You and I, we have no idea what God can do in our lives. And we have no idea what he wants to do in our lives if we stay comfortable. We will miss out on it. As I look back throughout my life and those moments of spiritual growth, of feeling like Jesus and I were walking hand in hand, they were due to very challenging and uncomfortable circumstances in my life. They could be situational, they could be relational, but at the end of the day, they were challenging because I was pushed outside my comfort zone. And I'm telling you, in those moments, I've never prayed harder. I've never been so devoted, so focused on Jesus. So all the good stuff happens, all the good stuff, the growth, that happens in the challenge. 
Now, please don't hear me. Comfort, there's a season for that. When I fail, when I strike out, when I'm, when I'm doing poorly in life, I need that comfort from God. When I first came to know Jesus, I did not need challenge. I needed acceptance. I needed comfort. I needed to be loved just as I am the hot mess that I was. That's exactly what I needed. But I'm telling you, the cliche is true, isn't it? Like, we love you, we love you enough to accept you as you are, but we love you enough not to let you, keep, not to let you stay that way. Like, we don't want you to keep just in the comfort thing. We want you to grow. We want you to grow, like in any relationship. Could you imagine being married for 25 years and you're the exact same person you were on your wedding day? No growth. Some of you, you're like, I was 18. (laughs) Could you imagine? We We want to be growing. The good stuff happens when there's growth and that requires challenge. So the first thing, the first thing is this. We have no idea what God can do and what he wants to do in our life. We have no idea. Listen, and I don't want us to miss it. The second thing is when we stay comfortable, we don't just stay comfortable, it gets worse. There's a, there's a progression that happens. We move from comfort, from comfort to apathy. And then from apathy, we get stuck. Here's what I mean. When you're comfortable too long in your marriage and your relationships, you get comfortable. You just start having the same argument over and over again. You're like, well, that's just, you know, All right, this is what we do. This is who she is. This is how he reacts. It is what it is. Then we come apathetic and we stop listening. We stop listening because, hey, you're just going to fly off the rails and do this. You're just going to go, that Amazon cart, you're just going to, you're going to shop because that's what you do when you're stressed and whatever. I'll just keep going back to work. I mean, that was hypothetical. Not that that applies to anybody. (laughs) Anyone here. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but, but we don't live here either. We don't live here. We get stuck. And when we get stuck, we lose hope. Because they're not going to change. Life will always be this way. My, my job will be like this. My boss will be like this. My dad will be like this. My mom will be like this. My wife, my in-laws, my whatever. You fill in the blank. We end up getting stuck. And we're just, that's the problem with being stuck. You're just stuck. And what's fascinating is no one's comfortable when they're stuck. They're just stuck. There's no hope there. And in order to get unstuck, we have to go and challenge ourselves. We need godly friends in our lives. Part of the reason they make our life better and they make us better at life is because they challenge us to not stay stuck. It's a beautiful relationship when it works. Listen, this is not just in marriages. We do this when it comes to our health, our weight, and our exercise. We get a little bit comfortable. And then from there, we get a little bit apathetic, like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. We've tried some exercise, some diets, some new things to do. And we go, ah, you know, not that big of a deal. Then we just slide into the stock. We're like, well, I've tried everything and it doesn't work. This is just the way I am. How about in our finances? You ever do that in your finances? You're like, well, this is just, I've, I've, I've capped out. This is what it is. This is how much I'm going to make. This is how generous I'm going to be. This is just the way life is. And we become apathetic and we become stuck. And our mindset needs to change. We do this in our hobbies. We don't try new things at all. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Sure, you find joy from it, but like, you know, on the a massive pie chart, you're just living life in one sliver of the pie. I'm telling you, there's a big world out there. You might meet other people, maybe possibly even godly friends in other hobbies and areas in life. Just something to think about. We do this at our, with knowledge. We do this with knowledge. Not Now, I know this doesn't happen with anybody in this church, in the building, or online, but like hypothetically, if you will, um, you know those Christians that have like grown up in church and they're like, I don't really need to read my Bible because I show up on Sunday and the pastor does it for me. And besides, I, I already know what it says anyways. Do you know, do you know what that is? That's, that's apathy. 
And our apathy will move, and we can become stuck. When was the last time, question, when was the last time you, um, you learned something new about Jesus? Here's a better question. When was the last time you were wrong about something you knew about Jesus? And you had to relearn it. I, I'm just saying, comfort for a season is great, but for a season, I, I like comfort. I like creature comforts. Um, I like a warm home in the winter. I like warm blankets. And I never thought I would say this. I like vanilla spice lattes. I had no idea. That's a seasonal thing, but they, they bring such great comfort, don't they? They're wonderful. However, life keeps moving on and I don't want to stay the same person. And in order to not stay comfortable, which leads to apathy, which inevitably means that I will be stuck somewhere, I have to go and be challenged. And I need godly people in my life to challenge me. I don't want to get stuck and apathetic and comfortable in my relationship with Jesus. Listen, and here's why, here's why. Because I have no idea what God can do and what he wants to do in and through my life. And neither do you. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. Here's a quick little exercise. Those of you who are 35 and older, think back to who you were in middle school. There's a scary thought, right? You've changed. You've grown, haven't you? And someone say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> did anyone else, maybe it was just me, but did anyone else in middle school, you're like, okay, you, you found the girl of your dreams, and I was like, dear Lord, Jesus, if you would make this woman fall in love with me, I promise I will follow you all the days of my life. Did anyone pray this prayer? And I'm standing here today going, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for not letting me fall in love with that woman. I married someone else and she's amazing. And she's my wife of today. She's beautiful and and so much more. What I'm trying to say is like, man, maybe our vision for our life is a little small compared to what Jesus has in store. And by the way, in that example, I, I always have to like circle back and say, um, that woman in, in middle school, she's probably teaching a Bible study right now and going, dear Lord Jesus, that boy in middle school, thank you for not letting us get married. You know, it goes both ways is what I'm trying to say. But the idea is this, we, we grow, we change, and we have no idea what God can do and what he wants to do in our lives. And in order for us not to miss it, we need godly friends who, yes, will make our life better, but who will make us better at life. Now, this is not a new thing. This has been on. Uh, this has been ongoing for humanity ever since. Well, ever since we were alive, really. And we're going to read a letter in the Bible. It's at the very end of your Bible. It's the Book of Revelation, and this is a warning passage to warn us what happens when we get comfortable and we go to apathy, and then inevitably we get stuck in life, especially, especially as it relates to Jesus. So, if you have a Bible. If you have a Bible, you need to go to the book of Revelation, and we'll pick it up in chapter 3. Because what we're talking about here is if you're stuck, here's how to get unstuck. And if you're not stuck right now, like hats off to you, kudos, but I want us to make sure we're living our life so that we don't get stuck. So we're answering both those questions. As you turn to Revelation, remember, how do we keep from getting stuck, and then how do we get unstuck? Those are the big questions that we have, because we have no idea. I'm going to say it a thousand times. You're going to be sick of it. But we have no idea what God can do and what he wants to do in our lives. Can we take it one step further? And what he wants to do in other people's lives through our lives. There's an idea, huh? So Revelation chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 
14. Now, Revelation's a, a phenomenal book. There's so much um, symbolism and imagery throughout the whole book. But the first, first chunk of the book um, is written to seven churches, and, and it's much more concrete and easier to digest. And there's a word in here for us this morning. So Jesus, let me paint the picture. Jesus is giving John, he's giving him a vision. And he's saying, John, I'm going to speak some words to you, and I want you to write these words down to the angels that represent each church. And there's seven of them. We're going to read what Jesus talks to John, what he speaks to John, for John to write to the angel of the seventh church. You with me so far? Not too complicated. If you're like, whoa, that was complicated, wait, wait till you get like to the middle of the book. It's even more complicated. But for our purposes, Revelation 3, 3, um, we'll pick it up in verse 14. Here's what John says. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, aka Jesus. So John, write these words from Jesus to this angel. Verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And you're sitting there going, what's wrong with room temp water? Like, it's great. What's the big deal? What's wrong with Jesus? Well, there's a deeper thing going on here, right? Much has been said about this whole idea of being lukewarm, being too hot, too cold, not hot enough, not cold enough, and all these things. And we can do a deep dive in it, but I just want to skim the surface. We're going to do the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this. And it's very simple. It's very simple. Um, cold water was great for drinking. You with me so far? Not complicated. Cold water is refreshing. It's great for drinking. If it's really, really hot outside, you don't want hot water. You want cold water, Right? Hot water is great for bathing. And in fact, the city here in Laodicea, uh, they would pipe in water from hot springs. So they, would, they had this irrigation system and you'd have this water from hot springs. And if you've ever jumped in a hot spring, ooh, it's wonderful. It's so good for bathing. It's relaxing. Anybody got a hot tub? You know what I'm talking about. This is warm water. It's great. This is perfect. This is what you want to do when you, when you want to bathe. A lukewarm bath is terrible. So cold water is great for drinking. Hot water is great for bathing. Lukewarm water is great for parasites and bacteria and diseases. <laughs> you don't want to drink it, and you definitely don't want to bathe in it. It's gross. Do you, do you see what Jesus is saying here? He, he's saying, look, one or the other, but you're, you're lukewarm. I, ew. So he spits it out. You would too. We all would. We go, this, this is terrible. Blah. And we would get rid of it. There's something in there for us today. Now listen as we keep going. Notice the self-sufficiency of this church. Of this church. Remember, a church is a group. It's a group of people. It's a group of people. Not a building and not one individual. This is a group. This, is, this, this could be us. Listen to what he says. Verse 17. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. It's, it's the idea that outwardly everything is perfect. They're rich. And it was a very wealthy town. There was lots of money there. They had a banking industry. 
Things were good. They, they had wonderful linen. It was, it was wool, and they were known throughout the world for their black wool. It was beautiful, and it covered so many things. And when you looked at them, you went, whoa, they've got it all together. But Jesus is saying, look, that's the outward. You think you're rich, but you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. He's not talking about material possessions. He's saying spiritually, you're not rich. I know outwardly it looks like it and everyone drives by the house and sees the cars in the driveway and they go, whoa, but inside, inside you're poor, you're not rich. You need to buy gold from me. You need, listen, spiritual richness does not come from wealth. It comes from Christ. He's saying you're missing that. You keep going. He says, and white clothes to wear so you, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Isn't it just human nature that whenever we sin and we don't want to get caught, so we just cover something up? We just sweep it under the rug? Because outwardly, again, we want to look like we have it all together. We, we do this with small groups. Um, you, you invite people over to your house and your house looks immaculate, right? But we all have that one closet, don't we? You don't open that closet because the whole thing just comes tumbling down. So we sweep things under rugs, we pack things in closets, and we go, look, look, everything's beautiful. Look at the outside. Jesus is going, this is what the church is doing. It's like inside. It, it's messy. You're, you're trying to cover up your shameful nakedness. You're, you're covering up. You, there's not enough clothes in the world that will cover up your shameful nakedness, your sinfulness. The only way that gets covered up is through me, through Jesus Christ. You keep going, and he says, the solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Again, what are they seeing? They're seeing the riches. They're seeing the wealth. Um, even the medicine, when there's sickness in the world, they say, well, we're going to put some stuff on here, and we're going to help your eyes. It's like, no, 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 no. Healing comes through me. Outwardly, you're trying to do everything. I know your deeds, but they're neither hot nor cold. They're just lukewarm. You're doing life without me. Listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, so those whom I love, fascinating, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's our accepting because he loves us, right? That's the accepting. And then the growth part is the rebuke and the discipline. So be earnest and repent. We talk about repent a lot. There's a lot of shame associated with it. I don't think there needs to be. Repent is literally rethinking your thinking to change your mind. So I'm walking this way and I'm going to repent of my ways. I'm now walking this way. It is a re- changing, a reorienting. What you thought was right is actually wrong. This is in fact right. That's what it means to go and repent. And Jesus says, you're living life without me. You're, you're living life in your own means, in your own power. You're doing it without me. He says, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you. And you need to be earnest about the repentance. Go the other direction, meaning bring me into every aspect of your life. And if you grew up, if you grew up in church, you've heard this verse. Verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I grew up thinking that was a verse for non-believers, for non-Christians to know that Jesus was standing at the door knocking on their heart. And if you opened up your heart, Jesus would come in and you could have a personal relationship with him. That is true. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This is Jesus standing outside of our church of a church, this church, the seventh church. And he's sitting there saying, you're having your church services. You're doing all your things without me. He's just, hello, can I come in? Hello, hey guys, hey, it's me, your Lord and Savior. Like, can I, hello, can I come in? Can I, that guy you're singing to, I'm literally right outside, but you're staring at the screen. I'm right there. Can I just, can I come in? This blows my mind. 
can we just be, can we be vulnerable and truthful for a hot second? How many times in our life is that us? Where we're so focused on, on, on just doing our own thing because Jesus accepts us. There's that comfort that I'm just, thanks for the, the unconditional love, the forgiveness, the acceptance, and I'm just gonna keep living my life. I'm gonna keep heading this way. And Jesus is going like, hello, hey, over here. We go, right here. I'm knocking, will you let me in? And I go, yeah, 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 I see you, Jesus. I'm just, we're living our life without him. And listen, we need godly friends who will challenge us in those areas of our life where we're, we're being self-reliant and not inviting Jesus to come along and to show us how he would live our life or how we should live our life if he had our life. This is a, a massive change. And again, hypothetically, you know, this isn't real. This doesn't apply to us. It's like other Christians in other parts of the U.S. You know what I mean? Not us, because we have this down. Or do we? <laughs> I'm just saying, does anyone else have room for growth? I never want to be the Christian that says, I've arrived. I've got it all. I don't need to read my Bible anymore because I know what it says. I, I don't need... I don't need to give financially to the church because I, I volunteer over here. That's the same, right? I'm, I'm gonna be generous with one side of my life but not, not in the other. Jesus is okay with that, right? And even if he's not, he loves me unconditionally so I read that in the Bible so I don't have to read my Bible anymore. I don't have to do these things anymore. See, see if we don't have godly friends in our lives that will challenge us on that nonsense, we get comfortable, we get apathetic and we get stuck and we wonder why isn't Jesus doing miracles in my life? You ever ridden a jet ski? So hard to turn one of those things when, it's not move, when the engine isn't on. You're just dead in the water. You're just floating. You're moving the handlebars everywhere. Engine's not running. That thing is so hard to, to steer. It's so hard to turn. But if you start the engine and you're moving, you can turn on a dime. It's so similar to our Christian faith. We're like, God, do something. And he's like, I, I need you to get up off the couch. Because <laughs> the things I want to do in your life... Um, it's not gonna work if, you're, if your butt's planted on the couch. We need to go do some stuff. Now remember, seasons, there are times, there are times where we need that acceptance, that comfort, that grace, that mercy, their forgiveness. There are times, 100%. But there are also times where we need godly people to challenge us and say, hey, it, it's time. God wants to do some miraculous things in and through you to bless your life, to bless the people you love and to bless people you haven't even met yet through you. It, it's time, we, we gotta get going. Verse 21, to the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Did you catch the cycle? I, I, I know I broke it up in, in sections, but did you catch the overall cycle? There's a process here throughout the whole thing. He says, number one, you have to, uh, you have to repent. You have to admit you're comfortable. Admit you're comfortable and it's time for a different season, a season of growth. Number two, you have to invite Jesus into your life, into those places into your life where he is absent from. He's standing there knocking. Are you and I gonna open up that door and let him in? And then the third thing is we need to do things to grow in our relationship. That's the cycle. We need to wake up and we need godly friends to help us say, hey, it's time to wake up. You've been too comfortable on the lazy boy. Get up, I'm gonna help you repent, rethink your thinking and we're gonna invite Jesus to help us grow in every aspect of our life that he has has been missing from. This is what godly friends do as we live 
our lives in community. This is what, listen, again, no disrespect, but this is what friends who are great but do not know Jesus, they can't help with this because they don't know. But it's up to you and I to sit here and ask ourselves the question, do I have room for improvement? Can I grow here? Does Jesus want me to grow here? By the way, the answer is yes. I like to ask people this question because it's so, it's so clarifying. But ultimately, the question is, how Christ-like do I want to be? Or, or in another way, it's how much of Jesus do I actually want in my life? Because what I've noticed is that Jesus will not overpower me with his presence. Again, going back to a pie chart, if your life is a pie chart and you just want this little sliver, this little slice of Jesus, he'll, he'll allow that. He won't force himself into every aspect. And on the one hand, that's very polite of him. But on the other hand, do, do you see the vast majority of our life that, that is missing out? And if Jesus only has a sliver of the pie chart and not the whole pie, we have no idea what he wants to do in our lives and what he can do in our lives, what he wants to do in our lives and what he's going to do through our lives. We have no idea. And if he just gets the little sliver, we're gonna miss it. We're gonna miss it. Godly friends have this power, not just to to make us better, but they can see things inside of us that we can't see ourselves. You're like, well, regular friends do that. Yeah, to a point. But they can also see what God is doing in our lives when we can't see it ourselves. Quick story. And then we'll bring the band up and we'll pray. Um, I was a senior in high school and I was on uh, basically a student leadership team and I got the opportunity to preach and I got the opportunity to go and preach for our, our youth ministry. Um, it was terrifying, it was exciting, it was fun, it was nerve wracking, it, it was everything in between. And um, when I was done, good godly friends, I had a buddy named Wes and um, Wes pulled me aside, this was a senior year in high school, he pulled me aside and he said, Steve, I, I, th- I think there's something there. It's like, I, I don't know what it is. I think there's something there. I think, I think God, I don't know. He put something in you and I, I think he wants you to develop that. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, just you're, you're teaching, you're preaching. It was, I, I just think there's something there. You should explore that. And I was like, no, like I like music. I like drumming. I'm going to be in a rock band and we're going to tour the world. And he's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. You're not very good. But he's like, maybe. <laughs> but in the meantime, <laughs> when you don't get signed while you're waiting around to get picked up by a record company. He said, uh, I think there's something there. Why don't you explore that? You fast forward a little bit. Remember, I grew up um, in a home. My, my dad loved playing games like Scrabble and Boggle. He was just, he was just great with words. Um, I didn't get that gift from my dad. Um, my, my brother got that gift. So you can imagine growing up in my home playing Scrabble or Boggle. Like I'd look at Boggle, you know, the letters, you shake them up and they're just, they're in there. And I'd be like, okay, cat, (laughs) tack. And my dad would walk by and he'd be like, ah, soliloquy. And I'm like, like, can you, is that even a word? It is a word. Go look it up. It's fascinating. But like, this is the environment I grew up in. I, I'm not what you would call an academic. My grammar is not very good. And you're like, we know we've been taking notes from you for a year. Like, it's not, I'm just not, I'm not, um, I'm not studious, but there's a gift I did get from my dad. I love to learn. So I started, you know, pursuing this ministry thing. And again, godly friendships. My buddy Wes going, hey man, um, have you thought about going to seminary? 
I'm like, well, you, you don't understand. See, in seminary, um, the, first off, it's graduate school. College was hard enough, but it's graduate school. It, it's, it's a master's program. Um, they don't have true and false tests. You write papers, <laughs> like 20 pages plus, and grammar and spelling, and you have to cite your sources and like all the things. And he goes, yeah, but, but you like to learn. And, and I think there's something inside you. I think you've, you've got something inside of you that Jesus would like you to hone so you could communicate and help other people learn who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives. So I don't think you need to become a professor. I think God has something else in store for you. Now, if you were to tell me, fast forward to present day, if you were to tell me when I was in college that I would graduate college and then I would go in, into seminary into a grad program, first off, that I would pass and then I, I would, for, for a living, I, I would teach people the Bible, let alone to a church this size. I would have laughed at you. Because I had, still to this day, I have no idea what God wants to do in my life. I have no idea what he can do in my life. And, and quite frankly, I have no idea how my life is going to go and impact other people and to the extent that it will. And the same thing is true for each and every one of you in the room and online. We have no idea. Listen, listen. And I don't want us to miss it. So we need friends that will come around us in this season of comfort. And then when that season is over, that will, will challenge us to get out of that comfort zone and to bring Jesus into every aspect of our lives. Very quickly, I want to give you some application points. These are suggestions because the honest to God truth is you already know those areas where Jesus is lacking. But I want to give us some very concrete things. So here, here's a couple things that we can, we can try and do that we could apply to our lives. A few ways you and I can grow. Reading a chapter in Proverbs every day. Proverbs is going to speak to your life completely. We're going to learn, if you want to learn how to live like Jesus, you have to make wise decisions like Jesus would make, right? Jesus is the wisest person that ever lived. He's got all the answers. So we're going to begin in Proverbs. We're going to read every day. And you need to invite a godly friend into your life that will hold you accountable to that if you choose that. The second thing is this. Practicing silence and solitude every week. I'm not saying for 24 hours. I'm not saying silence and solitude for the full week. Maybe it's just two hours. But here's what I've learned in silence and solitude. Did you know the world still spins when I'm silent and just alone? Some of us, we have the mindset of like, I got you, God. I got you. Look at me. You and me, buddy. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to keep this baby spinning. You're welcome, Lord. I'm doing my thing. What you put me here on earth to do. And we just help the world spin. It's a great reminder that he's in control and we are not. And, and listen, listen, it gives me an opportunity to hear what God wants to share with me. See, I, I know that Jesus speaks, and I know it's, that, it's that, that quiet, that whispering voice. But I think from time to time, I, I might have forgotten it in my soul. There's a difference between those two. Increasing your giving by 1%, again, the question is, how generous can I be? Another question is, how generous do you want to be? How generous would Jesus like us to be? I, if I could speak for myself, more generous than I am today. How about that? That's a good answer. A couple more of these, a couple more we could go through that, that we can apply to our lives. Asking to pray for a different person in person at least three times a week. You know, people come to you and they're like, hey man, can you pray for me? Because I'm going through a thing. And you're like, yeah, 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 I got you. And then, and then we forget. What I'm suggesting here is when someone says, hey, I'm going through a thing. Can you pray for me? You say, yes, let's do it right now. We don't, we don't need to go home. I don't need to do this thing in the car. Like, let, just right now. Boom, we pray, we give it to the Lord, and, and we move on. We keep moving on. But I'm suggesting three times a week, 
Three times a week, specifically with a human being. You're going to bump into them at the store, at the bank, at your work, whatever the case, and boom, we're just going to go, we're going to make it happen. Fasting once a month, we live a life of comfort and we've forgotten what it's like to live without. Meanwhile, the rest of the world, they know what it's like. It's just a reminder that, that this world is not made up of just my life. There are other people that God loves just as much as he loves me. Helps me remember that I'm not the only one. Last one, memorizing one scripture a week on anxiety. The reason I picked anxiety is because I think it is still alive and well in many of our lives. And again, we need to remember that Jesus has the whole world in his hands. I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. And he wants to do things in my life and through my life. But if I am so anxious that I have to hunker down in comfort, I will miss out on what he's doing. I don't want to miss it, and I don't want any of you to miss it. So would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray and come before the Lord, and we're going to respond in worship. Lord, we come before you, and I acknowledge that I love comfort. I, I don't like to be stretched. I don't like to grow. I like to avoid the areas of my life that um, are difficult, that are challenging. And God, I would ask that you would remind me and anyone else that, I, that identifies with that statement that I just said, would you remind us that you love us? Unconditionally, that does not waver. And we do not need to be afraid to give you those areas of our life where we have failed miserably, where we are addicted, where we have little control of. Father, I ask that you would give us godly friends that will come around us, that will see those dark areas. In the most gracious and kind and compassionate way, Lord, would they bring those things out of the darkness and into the light? Would they challenge us to be more and more like your son, Jesus? I pray, Lord, that we would never walk this earth alone, that we would know that you are fully with us and we have a community of godly friends that are marching in step with us as we become more and more and more like your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we live these truths out, that you would begin to unfold the vision that you have for each and every one of us in this room, not just for our personal life, but how we fit into your grander kingdom and the lives that we will impact simply because we brought you into every aspect of who we are and what we do. May I never be the person, may we never be the church where you are on the outside and you are knocking trying to get invited in. May we live every moment of our day bringing you in to the good places, the weak places, the happy places, the dark places, to every aspect of who we are. And may we experience the healing, the loving, the forgiveness. And would that change everything in our lives and the lives of the people that we come in contact with? We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close by singing one last song. Come on, let's stand.